Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Macabre for Mortals. I'm your host, Claudia, and this week we'll be covering the historical executions and some of the history of where these methods came from. This is the second part of a four-part series, so if you haven't listened to episode seven, then please go back and listen to that before continuing with this episode. To start with, I'll be covering one of my favourites. Well, I shouldn't really put it that way, I suppose. Well, one of history's well-known methods of execution, the guillotine. The name guillotine dates to the 1790s and the French Revolution, but similar execution machines had already been in existence for centuries. A beheading device called the planque was used in Germany and Flanders during the Middle Ages, and the English had a slicing axe known as the Halifax gibbet, which may have been lopping off heads all the way back to antiquity. The French guillotine was likely inspired by two earlier machines, the Renaissance era mania from Italy and the notorious Scottish maiden, which claimed the lives of some 120 people between the 16th and 18th centuries. Evidence also shows that primitive guillotines may have been used in France long before the days of the French Revolution. The origins of the French guillotine date back to late 1789, when Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotine proposed that the French government adopt a gentler method of execution. Although he was personally opposed to capital punishment, Guillotine argued that the decapitation by a lightning-quick machine would be more humane and egalitarian than the sword and the axe beheading, which were often botched. He later helped to oversee the development of the first prototype, an imposing machine designed by a French doctor, Antoine Louis, and built by a German harpsichord maker by the name of Tobias Schmidt. The device claimed its first official victim in April 1919, sorry, no, in April 1792, and quickly became known as the guillotine, much to the horror of its supposed inventor. Guillotine tried to distance himself from the machine during the guillotine hysteria of the 1790s, and his family later unsuccessfully petitioned the French government to change its name in the early 19th century. During the reign of terror of the mid-1790s, thousands of the enemies of the French Revolution met their end by the guillotine's blade. Some members of the public initially complained that machine was too quick and clinical, but before long the process had evolved into a high entertainment. People came to the Place de la Révolution in droves to watch the guillotine do its grisly work, and the machine was honoured in countless songs, jokes and poems. Spectators could buy souvenirs, read a program listing the names of the victims, or even grab a bite to eat at a nearby restaurant called the Cabaret de la Guillotine. Some people attended on a daily basis, most famously the Triosuses, a group of morbid women who supposedly sat beside the scaffold and knitted in between beheadings. I know they say morbid women, but let's be honest, most true crime junkies tend to be women we all have this fascination of watching true crime on the tv at the moment 
The theatre even extended to the condemned. Many people offered sarcastic quips or defiant last words before being executed, and others danced their way up the steps of the scaffold. Fascination with the guillotine waned at the end of the 18th century, but public beheadings continued in France until 1939. I don't know where I'd like this bit, but children often attended guillotine executions. I can tell you now, I would not let my five-year-old go to something like this. He cuts his finger and has a full-on meltdown of seeing a little bit of blood. So I doubt he would have liked this. However, lots of children even played with their own miniature guillotines at home. During the 1790s, a two-foot-tall replica blade and timbers was a popular toy in France and kids used the fully operational guillotines to decapitate dolls or even small rodents. And some towns eventually banned them out of fear that they were a vicious influence. However, novelty guillotines also found their way onto some upper-class dining tables, and they were used to cut bread or vegetables. As the fame of the guillotine grew, so did the reputation of its operators. Executioners won a great deal of notoriety during the French Revolution when they were closely judged on how quickly and precisely they could orchestrate um, multiple beheadings. The job was often a family business too. Multiple generations of the famed Sanson family served as the state executioner from 1792 to 1847 and were responsible for dropping the blade on King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette amongst thousands of others. During the 19th and 20th centuries, the role of the chief headsman fell to Louis and Antoine Dibler, a father and son pair whose combined ten- tenure extended from 1879 to when the guillotine was last used in 1939. People often chanted the Sansons and Diablo's names in the streets and their choice of clothing on the scaffold was known to inspire fashion trends. Executioners were also a subject of morbid fascination in the criminal underworld. According to some accounts, gangsters and other hoods would get tattoos with grim slogans such as, my head goes to Diablo. From the very beginning of its use, speculation abounded over whether the heads of the guillotined remained conscious after being cut off. The debate reached new heights in 1793 when an assistant executioner slapped the face of one of its victims' heads and the spectators claimed to see its cheeks flush in anger. Doctors later asked the condemned to try and blink or leave one eye open after the execution to prove that they could still move and others yelled the deceased's name in exposure to their heads or exposed their candles to flames and ammonia to see whether they would react. In 1880, a doctor named Dossi Dislingeroy even had blood pumped into the head of a guillotined child murderer, sorry, into a guillotined child murderer to find out if it would come back to life and speak. These ghastly experiments were put to a stop around the 20th century, but studies on rats have since found that the brain activity may continue for about four seconds after decapitation. The guillotine remained France's state method of capital punishment well into the late 20th century, 
Convicted murderer Hamidad Janjubadui became the last person to meet his end by the National Razor after he was executed by the guillotine in 1977. Still, the machine's 189-year reign only officially came to an end in September 1981 when France abolished capital punishment for good. Next, I'm going to be covering hanging. There is a suburb in a part of Liverpool where I come from called Anfield, famous for where the Liverpool football club grounds are. However, it is known by locals that this used to be a hang field and eventually this got shorted to Anfield. So Hangfield, Anfield. Just a little bit of a snippet there. As a form of capital punishment, hanging was introduced to Britain by the Germanic Anglo-Saxon tribes as early as the 5th century. The gallows were an important element in Germanic culture and the worthy Hankston Horser and their colleagues used a very, very rough and out of hand method of hanging. One that resembled our clean and tidy modern method in only this respect, that it worked well. William the Conqueror subsequently decreed that it should be replaced by castration and blinding, but all but for a crime of poaching the royal deer. But hanging was reintroduced by Henry I as a means of execution for a large number of offences. Although other methods of execution, such as boiling, burning and beheading, were frequently used in the medieval period. By the 18th century, hanging had become the principal punishment for capital crimes. But the 18th century also saw the start of a movement for the abolishment of the death penalty. In 1770, the British politician William Meredith suggested a more proportionate punishment for the crimes. He was followed in the early 19th century by Samuel Romilly and James Mackintosh, both whom introduced bills into Parliament in an attempt to decapitalise major crimes and minor crimes. Perhaps unsurprisingly, considering the fact that in Britain at the time there were no less than 222 crimes which were defined as capital offences, including the impersonation of a Chelsea pensioner and damaging Westminster Bridge. Moreover, the law did not distinguish between adults and children, and strong evidence of malice in a child of 7 to 14 years of age was also a hanging matter. It was not until 1861 that the number of capital crimes was reduced by just four by the Criminal Law Consolidation Act, these being murder, arson in the royal dockyard, treason, and the piracy with violence. Further reform followed, and the last public hanging took place in 1868, after which all executions were carried out within prison walls. In the 19th century, the mechanics of hanging came under scientific scrutiny. Certain suggestions and improvements were adopted, after which sweeping claims were made that the newly introduced trick for dislocating the neck was a vast improvement on the slower method of simply strangulation Hero used. 
But how does hanging actually kill someone? The position of the brass ring behind the ear has distinct advantages, and it's best calculated to cause instantaneous and painless death because it acts in three different ways towards the same end. In the first place, it will cause death by strangulation, which was really the only cause of death in the old method before the long drop was introduced. Secondly, it dislocates the vertebrae, which is now the actual cause of death. And thirdly, if a third factor was necessary, it had the tendency to internally rupture the jugular vein, which itself is sufficient to cause practically instantaneous death. However, there is a simple truth behind it all, and it is this. In spite of all the progress we have witnessed, it is not possible for the greatest physician, biologist, or any other scientist to define the exact moment when a hanged person ceases to feel pain. Pro-hanging propaganda states that death by hanging is almost instantaneous. Almost. In relation to hanging can allow for a period of time where may not be longer than two or three minutes, or can be a quarter of an hour, or, as it has happened, much longer, such as one hour and 11 minutes it took to hang Antonio Seprecage in Canada in 1919. An intelligent law takes care of this sentence. To be hanged by the neck until dead. The operative words here are until dead. However, throughout history, there has been a lot of bungled hangings. Hangmen and other government officials concerned with the executions in Britain spoke with awe of the Goodale mess the hanging of a man called Goodell, at which the prisoner's head was jerked right off the body. And one of the terrors was that, because of some slight oversight, it could be easily repeated. To avoid anything so unseemly, a man named William John Gray, sentenced to death for the murder of his wife, was reprieved in April 1948. After shooting his wife, Gray shot himself, fractured his jaw. A medical examination showed that the injuries caused were such a character that as make it an impractical to carry out the execution. This could mean one of two things, that he might die from the strangulation because of a failure of the brachis islet to cause dislocation, or that to cause dislocation, he would have to be given a drop so long that his head might be pulled off. Hence, in the interest of both humanity and hanging, it was much safer to grant him a reprieve. In 1927, the British Medical Journal published another account by an ex-colonial surgeon of a botched hanging. He stated that he had to witness the execution of four natives. The executioner was in a hurry that day to keep another appointment and decided to hang the men in pairs. As a general rule on association of the heart may be heard beating for about 10 minutes after the drop. On this occasion, when the sounds had ceased, there was nothing to suggest a vital spark. The bodies were cut down after 15 minutes and placed in the antechamber. 
when one of the supposed corpses gave a gasp and was found making spasmodic respiratory efforts. The two bodies were quickly suspended again for a quarter of an hour longer. Another great figure in the annals of hanging is John Lee. It is necessary to say on behalf of the late Mr. Berry, who officially officiated at the long drawn out hanging process, that he was in every way qualified to perform the task. But the cruel fact remains. Three times he tried to hang John Lee on Monday, the 23rd of February, 1885 and three times he failed. The failure to hang John Lee was officially explained as due to rain, which had caused the planks of the trap to swell. This may well have been the case. It has been suggested that the failure to deal adequately with John Lee is a proof provided by the province of his innocence. Maybe. Or perhaps it can be attributed to the immunity from hanging developed by the hereditary in accordance with Mendel's theory. Incidentally, John Lee lived to a ripe and contented old age. Yet, it was to be almost 100 years before hanging was to disappear completely from the British justice system. On the 9th of November, 1965, the murder abolition of the death penalty act suspended the death penalty for murder for five years in the united kingdom and on the 16th of december 1969 the house of commons voted by a majority of 158 that capital punishment for murder should be abolished even after this the death penalty threat theoretically survived for treason piracy with violence arson in the dockground and certain crimes under the jurisdiction of the armed forces. But with the ratification of the Sixth Protocol of the European Convention on Human Rights in the 20th of May 1999, all provisions for the death penalty were finally abolished in the United Kingdom. Worldwide, the death penalty is still retained in 77 countries as a way of dealing with the range of crimes. However, the humanity of hanging and other forms of execution raises important questions as to the wisdom of a punishment which allows little room for error on the part of the enmity fallible justice system. Lastly, I will be covering, covering beheading or decapitation, a method similar but slightly different than the guillotine. According to tradition, beheading by sword was introduced to England by William the Conqueror in the 11th century. Death by sword, in which the victim stood or knelt upright because a block would have impeded the downward stroke of the weapon, was usually reserved for offenders of high rank as it was considered to be the equivalent of being killed in battle. Simon, Lord Lovat, was the last person to be executed in England in this method in 1747. Beheading usually by an axe was a customary method in executing traitors in England. The victim was drawn, dragged by a horse to the place of execution, hanged, 
not to death, disemboweled, beheaded, and then quartered, sometimes by tying each of the forelimbs to different horses and spurring them in different directions. In 1820, the Cato Street conspirators led by Arthur Thistlewood became the last people to be beheaded by Axe in England. Having plotted the murder mem- to mem- bleh, pardon me, having plotted to murder members of the government, they were found guilty of high treason and hanged, and then their corpses were decapitated. Although beheading was one of the means of executing political prisoners in Nazi Germany, the practice is now rare in European countries, most having abolished capital punishment. However, it is still practiced occasionally in some Asian and Middle Eastern countries. Beginning with the murder of Daniel Pearl, an American journalist kidnapped in Pakistan in 2002. An Islamic militant group such as Al-Qaeda embraced beheading as a propaganda tool distributing gruesome videos of such executions to the media outlets and on the internet. ISIL, or ISIS, a Sunni insurgent group in Iraq and Syria, staged mass beheadings of Syria and Iraqi captives in the beginning of 2014, and also used the threat of beheading to extract ransom payments from some Western governments. Several British and American hostages have also been beheaded by ISIS. I will be covering more of the gruesome videos that were spread from ISIS and also Al-Qaeda in part four of why people actually like to watch these things. And this can even go back to like historical times of where people go to public executions. I think in modern days it considered to be more of a taboo thing that we know that murder happens and we know that capital punishment does happen but we don't necessarily want to see it however let's return to some historical executions by beheading or decapitation we'll cover a few famous people that were executed in britain the first one is Anne Boleyn. Coincidentally, my dad has gone back into our family history and Anne Boleyn is actually one of my great aunts. So I can see where she gets some of her traits from. They certainly do ring true in me. So Anne Boleyn was Henry VIII's second and perhaps most infamous wife. She was beheaded at the Tower of London on the 19th of May, 1536. She was found guilty of incest, adultery, and various other charges, including plotting to kill the king. But many historians argue that there was little truth in any of these accusations, and rather Henry wanted to get rid of her, as she had not provided him with a son, an heir. She provided him with the Queen Elizabeth I. So... A lot of you will be able to see Kate Blanchett and all of her renditions of Elizabeth I. So I think she gave him a pretty good daughter. However, he had been already courting his soon-to-be third wife, Jane Seymour. Anne requested and was granted execution by a French swordman. She believed it would be a swifter, less painful execution than the traditional beheading by an axe. Upon receiving the news, she wrote... 
I heard say the executioner was very good and I have a very little neck. Her execution speech included, Pray God save the king and send him long to reign over you. For a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never. And to me, he was ever good, a gentle and sovereign lord. And upon being blindfolded, she repeated several times, To Jesus Christ I commend my soul, Lord Jesus receive my soul. She died of a single blow by the executioner's sword. Catherine Howard, first cousin to Anne Boleyn, so therefore another relative. Maybe I should wash my head around the Queen of Hearts, maybe. Henry VIII's fifth wife, Catherine Howard, received the same fate. Beheaded at the Tower of London on February 13th, 1542, she was aged just between 18 and 19 years old and had only been married to Henry for a little over a year. Accused and found guilty of adultery with one of Henry's favourite courtiers, Thomas Culpepper, she supposedly spent many illicit evenings with him, organised by her scheming lady-in-waiting Lady Rochford. Terrified of her looming execution, Catherine requested a beheading block to her prison quarters in the Tower of London the night before her execution. She spent many hours practising on the block, and on her execution day she was so nervous that she required assistance while climbing the execution scaffolding. She was beheaded with a single blow by the executioner's axe. It is historically recorded that she made a speech declaring her execution was worthy and just and begged for mercy for her family. However, according to folklore, she claimed, I die a queen, but I would rather have died the wife of Culpepper. Thomas More. Yes, another victim of Henry VIII's reign. Thomas More was an author, Utopia and History of a King, History of King Richard III, a lawyer and a counsellor to King Henry. He served as the Lord High Chancellor of England from 1529 to 1532, but fell out of favour when he refused to accept him as the new head of the Church of England and didn't attend his new wife Anne Boleyn's coronation ceremony. Henry attempted to find more guilty of treason multiple times, but at first there was not enough evidence that was found against him. It was not until he was tried before a team of judges that included Anne Boleyn's father, brother and uncle that he was found guilty of high treason. Moore was sentenced to be hung, drawn and quartered, but Henry requested him to be beheaded instead. He was beheaded by an axe with a single blow on the 6th of July, 1535. When mounting the scaffolds, Moore supposedly said, I pray for you, I pray for you, Mr. Lieutenant. See me safe up and for my coving, I can shift for myself. And that he would die, the king's good servant, but God's first. Lady Jane Grey, the nine-day queen. Lady Jane Grey was beheaded when she was just 16 or 17 years old. When Henry VIII's heir, Edward VI, was on his deathbed, he manipulated by Protestant nobles to agree to allow Lady Jane Grey, the great-granddaughter of Henry VII, 
to become Queen of England instead of his half-sister, Mary, who was legally set to become Queen under the Succession Act. However, her reign as Queen only lasted nine days, as Lady Jane Grey was arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London, along with her husband, Lord Guilford Dudley, under the future Queen Mary and her Catholic supporters' wishes. Both her and her husband were sentenced to beheadings. At the scene of Lady Jane Grey's execution, she made a speech that included, Good people, I am come hither to die, and by a law I am condemned to the, to the same. The fact, indeed, against the Queen's Highness was unlawful. And when approached by the execution block, was unable to find it and said, What shall I do? Where is it? And was guided to a block by the witness. Walter Raleigh. One of Elizabeth I's favourite courtiers, Walter Raleigh, was an international adventurer, explorer and writer. During Elizabeth's reign, Raleigh served three expeditions to America and for the most part was greatly within his Queen's favour. However, in 1591, Raleigh secretly married one of Elizabeth's ladies-in-waitings. Elizabeth Bess Throckmorton. Elizabeth had them both arrested and imprisoned in the Tower of London, only to release Riley so he could fill, fulfill overseas expeditions. Riley gradually became back into Elizabeth's favour, but after her death in 1606, he was arrested for being a foe of the new King James I, served a death sentence. It was commuted and he was freed in 1616 to lead an exhibition to establish a gold mine in the Arico River in South America. However, the expedition was a total failure and his death sentence was invoked against him. He was executed on the 29th of October 1618 in the Old Palace Yard at the Palace of Westminster. He was supposedly said to his executioner, Let us dispatch at this hour my ague comes upon me. I would not have my enemies think I quaker from fear. And as the executioner raised his ass, shouted, Strike, man, strike! He was 65 years old. And lastly, one of the most famous ones was Guy Fawkes. Most people will know about Bonfire Night, who live in England. This is on the 5th of November. And if any of you have ever seen V for Vendetta, then you'll know that Guy Fawkes' mask is one of the most famous things. I suppose what needs to be remembered is Guy Fawkes was just the person who was meant to go and set alight the um, gunpowder underneath. He wasn't the only one in there, but he is the one who is the most funny. Guido Fawkes was a chief conspirator in the plot to blow up the British Parliament building to restore Catholicism in England and kill King James I. On November 5th, 1605, Sir Thomas Knevet discovered Fawkes lurking under the cellars of the British Parliament building. Almost two tons of gunpowder were discovered with the cellars, and King James I was due to attend Parliament that day. Arrested and tortured, Guy admitted to his and his fellow conspirators' plans. The following months, authorities arrested and killed the other conspirators and sentenced Guido to be hung and drawn and quartered on London, January 30th, 1606. 
On this day, he climbed the ladder, ladder to the noose at the Old Palace Yard at Westminster, only to jump and break his neck. Avoiding being hung, there is speculation over whether he fell by accident, supposedly weakened by the extreme torture he'd endured, or deliberately jumped to avoid the agony of his sentence fate. His body was still quartered and his head was still decapitated and displayed on the four corners of the kingdom to warn off would-be traitors. My sources for this week was the History Channel website and also a good selection of programs on there. Britannica.com, using all the history um, tabs in there and it's just searching for different sayings such as the decapitation, um, most famous people who have been decapitated. And the hanging was um, used from a book called A Handbook on Hanging by Charles Duff. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. If you like this podcast, please subscribe for more content. Please join our Facebook group, Macabre for Mortals podcast. Or if you have any stories or any content that you would like me to cover, then please email them to macabreformortals at gmail.com. Next time, I will be covering a more modern day executions and their origins and probably touch on the countries which do still have capital punishment including um well we all know that america does still have the capital punishment but also countries that you might not even think that still have it so i hope you have a fantastic week see you next time bye <laughs>